Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 101 to Hanoi. 101. That's kind of dystopian, isn't it? That's very George Orwell. (laughs) (laughs) We should be talking about all the things that we we hate and want to get rid of in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. Again, we're late. I know. I mean... November has been so taxing, not complaining, lots of work, it's good, lots of travels. Actually, you know what, how are you, Alex? I haven't heard about you for like a month and a half now. I know, it's been ages, <laughs> it's very unusual. I was just saying to my wife the other day that it's, you know, you and I, we talk so frequently, obviously every day, but we've been on wrong time zones or on airplanes or just just busy. But yeah, yeah, good, all things considered, I'm good. Lots of travel like you, lots of work. Because, guys, you don't realize, but yeah, usually we do talk, but there are times where you actually can hear more more Alex than I do simply by attaché. So just watch the last episode. You have 18 minutes of him talking, which is more than probably we talked in the last month and a half. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I've been in so many places. I'm just going to hint that because we're still on a time shift, we're still working on stuff we've done almost in the summer now. (laughs) I've been to what? Athens, Lisbon, New York, Singapore twice, Hong Kong, Manila, and Dubai in the last month, which is great, which is also completely contrary to what I said for those who listened since the start of this year. I said I'm going to travel less well, I did almost like 50k in a single month, which threw completely off my uh, will to not travel as much yeah. because, yeah. And Madrid, actually, I did Madrid just before with a 350 BA club suite. You also did Very Madrid. Interested to hear about that. It's going to be for uh, the next episode, probably. I'm just going to hint at something. The door is useless, guys. <laughs> That's a good product. And so, guys, watch Attaché. Alex is back, and you're going to have a laugh. I couldn't stop laughing for at least a minute and a half the way you name Madrid Airport is perfect absolutely perfect that even made my uh, wife laugh uh, <laughs> I should, uh, yeah because Greg sent me a clip when we were in the editing phase and it happened to include that because we're just trying out a new piece of technology that we found and I showed her that and she got a kick out of that too that was wonderful great episode I love that city so I was very happy to also to see our friend Alex Alejandro Barrera yes uh, oh my goodness he made the episode I was very generous with his time and with his stories and advice and anecdotes as well, so thank you to Alex for that. And I totally recognize the place that you've been because, of course, because he took me there, obviously. That was amazing. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for all the wonderful messages you sent us for our 100th anniversary. No, not anniversary because we're not 100 years old yet, but... The one thing, because of all the flights and all the busyness of the last month, I had no time to really create great notes, so I'm not going to mention any of you, so don't be mad, please. I'm going to do that in the next order follow-up episode, but we received so many great stuff like reviews and emails and messages, and as always, there's too many, but thank you. That's really... That was heartfelt from you guys, and we felt it. Thank you so much. Yeah, so many people took the time from previous guests to listeners to fellow podcasters and people in the industry as well, which is lovely. 
Talking about fellow podcasters, I'm going to mention two, actually. First, the Next Trip podcast by one whom we always mention, Officer Wayfinder. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that, man, you started your own podcast because you have so much to say. You travel like mad. You also have a very different view because you travel very different airlines than Alex and I do. It's called the Next Trip podcast. We're recording today on the 5th of December 2019. I was about to say 2020. I'm ahead of time, man. And Officer Wayfinder just released the first episode, I think, yesterday or two days ago. He does that with a fellow called Erdrew. I've listened to it. Guys, you're very kind because literally in the first three minutes, he says, uh, shout out to Paul and Alex. We were the inspiration behind uh, their podcast. Wow. Well, thank you so much. And you know what? You guys going to feel a gap, which is Alex and me not recording as much as uh, we are because we just don't feel like it. No, it's not true. We just don't have that. <laughs> I don't think in 2020 we're going to commit to every two weeks. We're going to commit to whenever we feel like it. I so, think that's probably the way it's going to have to be, isn't it? Yeah. So in the meantime, guys, listen to the Next Trip podcast. They cover very similar stuff on us, and it's very cool. And guys, congratulations for the launch of the podcast. I've already subscribed. Everybody subscribe to them. This is a really cool podcast. And another one, I don't really know the guys, but I want to mention it because it's fascinating. And I think that is Elizabeth, one of our listeners who pointed out to me. It's called The Loyalty Podcast. It's a new podcast only about loyalty programs. And these guys really know their stuff. There's the guy who built the SPG program. There's a guy who built the Virgin Australia program. There's a guy who built the JetBlue program, the Hilton program as well, the Nectar, you know, it's a UK-based program, yeah, yeah. Avios and the Virgin Atlantic one. So you really have the brains that build these frequent flyers programs and award programs. So it is a fascinating look into programs. I encourage you to listen to it. It's called the Loyalty Podcast. You can find it on every channel as podcasts do. So these two podcasts, as many others, but these two will fill the gaps when we are not <laughs> recording. Yes. Yeah, there's such, there's such great content out there now these days. I always felt that when we started, it was very niche. Yeah, <laughs> what we did. But it turns out that it's not. So there's lots of great content coming out there, which is which is nice. It's great. Berlin has an opening date. Can you believe that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that article that said, uh, what was the original date? It was October something 2020, eight years e behind schedule. Yeah, October. No, it's November 8th. But the funny bit is that a week ago, they said October 20th, I think. So basically, in two weeks, they've already shifted it, which is very usual for them. So let's see if they can commit to November 8th, 2020, to have the new Berlin-Brandenburg Airport open, because this has been a running joke in our, in our podcast as well. So let's see. I, I hope they do, because they need one. Although it seems that a lot of Berliners are very attached to Tegel for some reason. but yeah, yeah, I think I can understand that to an extent because of how close it is to the city itself. But I have absolutely no faith that this date will be met. If it opens in 2020, <laughs> I will... Okay, here we go. We talked about on the 100th episode, our prescience. I will say now, if that airport opens in 2020... I will eat a piece of paper live on this podcast. I'll eat a ream of paper. <laughs> Guys, and I'll put the video up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So episode, what, 105 at the rate we're recording? It will be no November 2020. Now, guys, we're hoping to record a little bit more than that. So there you go. Alex has promised to eat some paper yeah. live on this what a, what a stupid thing to say as well. Like, I surely I could come up with something more exciting and interesting. I will take your suggestions, everybody. There you go. Because it's not going to uh, happen. <laughs> so 
We talked about Germany, we talked about loyalty program. I have to criticize Lufthansa. Guys, you know that I fly a lot, Star Alliance. Will I say that I love the Lufthansa brand? No. Will I say that I hate the Lufthansa brand? No. It's really, for me, it's a functional airline. I kind of, you know, it's very consistent. It works well. This is why I travel with Lufthansa a lot in Europe. I do not travel with them on long haul because I don't like their product. But what they've done, they just announced literally what a week ago that they are revamping the miles and more program starting 1st of january 2021 so in a year and one month and in one word the new program is shit uh (laughs) (laughs) it just feels to me that i've spent the last 10 years you know making sure that i'm being senator which is the goal to the pre to last pre to highest loyalty on uh, their program Han being their highest, which is almost impossible. You need to do 600,000 miles every two years to have that. And the new program is basically saying, I'll make it very simple, that in order to gain status, you have to fly with the Lufthansa group. So you have to fly Lufthansa, Austrian, Swiss, and probably, you know, the the smaller one like Dolomiti and all the affiliated ones. If you fly Singapore, which I've done, for instance, I've done New York to Singapore with Singapore Airlines, you'll get award miles, so to buy a reward flight, for instance, but you won't get status miles, which... To me, it's like BA saying, well, you know what? You're only going to get miles if you fly Iberia and us, but not if you fly Cathay Pacific or Qatar. I, I mean, I, I understand maybe the decision behind it to try to force people to fly within their own group. Right. But it completely destroys the idea of an alliance to me. Do you think that's the reason, though, that they're trying to get people to pick Lufthansa? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe Delta shot first, you know, by Delta saying that they don't really like uh, SkyTeam and they're going to build their own alliance and kind of steer people towards them, their nucleus of airlines. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what, uh, you know, Lufthansa thinks. They say, you know, we have a powerful enough group of airlines. Well... We're going to reward you for flying us, for flying this group, but we're not going to reward you for flying the rest. I mean, I mean, you know what? There's a calculator. The calculations for miles on miles and more is very complicated. They have a mileage calculator on their app, which takes you 25 minutes each time to try to calculate. No, I'm not kidding, because you have to really input not only the flights you're going to take, but the class fare and the dates you bought it and the price that you bought it for, and the surcharge that you had to pay. So basically, unless you have actually bought a ticket, you cannot really make the calculation. So I always come up with like, you know, roughly what I would have paid into. Anyway, they have a a calculator on their announcement page to tell you, okay, if you were to travel these airlines, etc., and you can try to kind of make, and I've done it, and I'm not going to be able to requalify for senator, which is usually very easy. Look, very simply, what I'm going to tell them is, so I'm supposed to fly your group. Does Austrian fly between Manila and Singapore? Does Lufthansa fly between Shanghai and Tokyo? No, you don't. So you're basically punishing people like us who have like these travels that are outside of our continent by telling us that. And that sucks. Yeah. Again, it defeats the purpose of a of an alliance and a reward program, frankly. And this yeah. keeps happening. This keeps happening across yeah, I think it's multiple airlines. Because it's when you have and I learned this at Virgin America, I'd never even considered it, but when you have miles outstanding, i.e. people who are sitting there with their miles in their accounts, that is a liability on your balance sheet. 
and devaluing or changing the value or manipulating that is a way of, at least from an optics perspective, making your airline appear healthier financially. But it feels like you're just cutting off one's nose to spite one's face. <laughs> well, anyway, at least for me, I'm now really strongly considering giving up, not on Star Alliance, but on using that program. And of course, it's a bit like, why did I build all this for 10 years now to actually, what do I do? I, I have no idea. They're also removing, I think I had mentioned a few episodes ago, they're removing, and that's good, removing some of the complications that they had added over time. There are like so many different they had status miles, award miles, and select miles, and stars, and it started becoming super hard to understand. So for that, I commend them. They're making it simpler to understand. They're removing the star. So I just got my one star, which is a star that appears on my card, and that gives me access to some really cool stuff. And one of the cool stuff I got in the email for like about a month ago, or maybe two months ago now, was the ability for me using my miles instead of uh, getting a reward flight to visit the A350 factory oh, wow. uh, of Airbus. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff they... So they say that they're not going to remove this kind of benefits, that they will still know that you've been loyal for a certain time. Thus, they will give you access to that. I, I think I was invited yesterday to the very famous, you know, Vienna ball, you know, the who uh, dance the waltz yes. and everything. Yeah, <laughs> I think that... See, that's cool. I mean, there's so many yeah. where there's perks where you're like... I, so they, they're not going to remove the perks. They're going to remove the star that indicates your perks. By the way, I only have one star. If you have two stars on your card, it could mean, and you'll only know that on January 2021, that you would have a lifetime senator card. And my God, I wish I had two stars now because I wouldn't have to think about requalifying. I would just get right. this card forever. But overall, I think the program just kind of diminished for me. And literally, I got the email on the way back from that very, that's going to be in another episode, guys, that very long flight to Singapore I just mentioned. I flew Singapore from New York to Singapore in first class. Imagine the number of miles I got on with this one. And then I'm like, shit, if I had known, I would have put that in the new program, like on Chris Flyer from Singapore Airlines or anyone else. Right. But miles and more. Now, I, of course, accredited to, to this. So I just, I don't know. So if anyone from Lufthansa listens to this, guys, first of all, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of backlash, but also think about people like us who do travel outside of your zone of influence, if I may say. If you fly ANA within Asia, why do I not get any you know, yeah. status smiles. It just doesn't make sense to it me. It doesn't make, and the, yeah, it's an annoying trend, unfortunately, that is really yeah. turning into a trend. It is. We got um, our Wrigley on a Twitter. See, I said I wouldn't mention anyone, but actually mentioned him. He wanted to give a shout out to Lufthansa because I just criticized Lufthansa, so I had to give something for Lufthansa. He traveled with his cat from Frankfurt to Mexico City, and you've been a lot to Mexico City, and he's traveled with the cat several times, and this was by far and away the easiest process and the cat is now safe and sound in Mexico so there you go they do something right I've, ne it's I've a never stressful. I mean you've done that I've done that it's a stressful process to go through so it's encouraging to hear that it went so smoothly actually a friend of mine Natalie who I was with in Singapore she lost her cat through a process like that she was flying with was it Transavia it was the Air France group her cat escaped from the apron what? in Paris That's because the handler nightmare. the handler basically dropped the cage and <gasps> the door opened and the cat escaped and it's been two years and she's in litigation and she's looking into doing a class action and she holy I mean yeah, it's uh, that's not good. No, uh, I would I would hate it. Oh, uh, talking about cat, 
I don't know if you've seen that story, and then I'll go back to Lufthansa, on Aeroflot. So there was this guy called Mikhail, I think. He wanted to fly his cat called Victor. He paid the Aeroflot fees, you know, because you have extra fees, of course, if you want to transport a cat. In that instance, the cat was uh, with him in the cabin, and it was a two-leg flight. So in the first leg, his cat with him, no problem. He stops in Riga, I think we covered that airport? I'm not sure anymore. And then Riga, apparently the guys were more stringent and they actually not only measured the size of the cage, but they also weighted the cat. And the limit, as many of you cat or pet owners in general will know, is usually seven to eight kilos. And uh, Victor was found to be 10 kilos, so two kilos over the weight limit. So they refused. They said, you cannot bring the cat on board. You have to figure out a way, so either put it in the hold or find another way. What he did, and that's where it becomes cheeky, <laughs> I mean, man, he found a similar cat of a lower weight, thanks to the help from a friend that was nearby in Riga Airport. The name of that cat was Phoebe. So when he checked in, he put that Phoebe in the weighing platform the next day when he was coming back to the airport. He put that other cat to be weighed in and then switched again the cat. So he would actually have had a cat that was less than eight kilos, but actually flying his cat. The thing he stupidly did is that he announced that on Facebook. That was dumb. And our flot saw that, obviously. There was even a hashtag, hashtag Victor the cat. Arafla decided to remove him entirely from his freaking flyer program, a annulled 400,000 miles he had accumulated over the years. That seems a little harsh. Yeah. And you're punishing, very obviously, one of your most loyal customers. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that what he did was, was the correct course of action, but that seems like the nuclear <laughs> option. Yeah, yeah. And he was actually, by the way, he was flying business class, which to your point means he was probably a, a good customer in general. So Victor the cat cost 400,000 miles. <laughs> Another cat story, since we're on cats, that's here in uh, the UK. I think it was in uh, hmm, Gatwick. This couple, lovely couple, British couple, arrives at Gatwick and uh, puts their carry-on through the x-ray and there's a cat inside. What? And actually their cat had, during the night, decided to sleep in, oh, so in they, the morning. They, <laughs> they, they didn't, didn't realize. Oh, oh, I see. I thought it was one of those things where they're like, oh, <laughs> we didn't want to pay the fee. So we were just, wow, that's hilarious. Uh, so thank God they had a friend over there is actually, you know, coming, picking up the cat. They were able to make their trip to New York. It was for their 40th uh, birthday trip. So there you go. My cats always tend to, every time I leave a uh, luggage open, they tend to want to sleep in it, obviously, which is always great because I always carry, you know, what this um, lint roll, you know, oh, yeah, out, yeah. because I wear a lot of black, which is not a good idea when you have cats, guys. Uh, <laughs> So back to Lufthansa for a little bit. You, you've flown a lot, of course, because you always do British Airways. Yeah. What's your take nowadays about this group boarding thing? They seem to have been better about it. Even in the outposts, I've found it's getting better. There's clear delineation between each of the groups as opposed to one, two, and three. So Lufthansa decided to do something. They just announced it. I haven't experienced it yet because I haven't flown Lufthansa now in a little bit for the groups, so Austrian and Swiss and et cetera. What they're going to do, they're going to do what's, you know, everybody talks about how hard it is to board and how backed up it is in the economy when everybody tries to put their carry-ons and everybody's waiting in line, et cetera. So group one is going to be Hans Circle member, Senator and Star Alliance Gold. Group two is going to be business class travelers and economy flex travelers. 
And then that's where it comes interesting. And I want to hear your, your thoughts, Alex. Group three is going to be economy with a window. Group four, economy middle seat. And group five, economy ale. Yeah, makes sense. It's, it's, it's something that everybody says they should do, but nobody actually has done it. I mean, I'm sure some airlines have done it, but that it becomes like standard for such a big group, it's uh, something. It's a, it's a good idea. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, so many of these things where they do all these studies and you see it pop up on Wired magazine every five years. Oh, we finally cracked it or somebody's cracked it or some. they run these computer simulations. But unfortunately, as a species, we're very unpredictable. So we never conform to computer simulations. But on the face of it, it makes sense, doesn't it? You get the people in, yeah. the, in the window with their bags stowed and in and they're not getting out again. And people are not having to stand up or get climbed over. So if this works, I'm sure we'll hear about it. If it doesn't, I'm sure we won't. So uh, <laughs> on the face of it, though, it sounds like a good idea. Like you say many, many times, also very cultural, the discipline at boarding. We always talk, obviously, about Japan and how disciplined and well-organized that is. I'm not certain, like in outposts, as you call them, it will always work with... Uh, I'm pretty sure that in Germany that it could work. Though, every time I fly to Germany, maybe because I live in the UK, where people queue pretty well, you know, that we're known for that in this country. Germany is not always the case, let's be honest. So will they be able to make that? Like you say, maybe we'll never hear about it. They will, they said, because they're not stupid. They said they will be having some flexibility for families because obviously if Alex, you're in a window, your wife is in middle and your kid is in the ale, they're not going to make you board separately. Yeah. They're going to have like a system of uh, flexibility, I guess. Yeah, you would hope that they would figure that out. <laughs> well, have you seen all the stories about all these airlines separating families? Like unless you actually, what the? Yeah. Has it happened? To, it's never happened to you, right? Uh, Yes, it has. Uh, once on EasyJet a few years ago, they did that, but... They quickly resolved it on board. Sometimes you're at the mercy of another passenger, especially on a full flight. But it couldn't, I mean, you know, if you all share the same last name and probably even like booked together, can they not just figure it out that you're a family that you want to, especially if you have kids? I mean, maybe adults you can discuss forever, but for kids, you're not going to separate kids from their parents. No, you, I, it does happen a lot. You do read a lot of stories about it. And I think... The system is designed to make sure that you pay for a seat or try and get you to pay for a seat so mm -hmm. that that doesn't happen. And they always say, oh, well, we can't guarantee that you'll be sat together. But then by law, you have to be. So it seems a little disingenuous. I think Congress is actually looking into it because they've gotten like a few, I guess, letters to Congress, women and men. And uh, they are looking into forcing the airlines in the U.S. to make families sit together because apparently these kind of stories have been increasing in the past year. I don't know. I, guys, if you've ever had that story happen to you, let us know. I'll be interested. But I found that kind of very disingenuous to separate kids. Again, I find it stupid to separate like a couple already, but kids from their parents, I mean, it's irresponsible. It it's really also, is. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's also opening yourself up to lawsuits, you know, and wondering who else is going to be next to your kid. I mean, what the hell? Um, one good thing about Lufthansa that they've just introduced on their app. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot about Lufthansa. We're going to move on to Emirates in a few guys, I promise. And they hate each other, so I like to push back <laughs> against each other. Uh, on their app, and it's something that I found pretty cool, on their app now, if you have some miles that haven't been credited to your account, you can scan your boarding pass and it will automatically credit your uh, miles. Finally. Ah, there you go, right? Makes a lot of sense, right? Because in the past, it's been like so manual and so yeah. kind of bureaucratic. Yeah, you need to print out a form and write it down and send and it by post. It. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, fact, that's Japan. The chief executive of Lufthansa has uh, criticized competitors for offering unprofitable, ultra-cheap fares. And he says, and I don't think he's wrong, but I'll get to that a little bit later, flights for less than 10 euros shouldn't exist. So, of course, when you say that, of course, it's a traditional carrier. They cannot compete with these kind of prices. But he puts the omen on, you know, the externality, which is obviously pollution. And we know that Germany is introducing uh, tax, a carbon tax, I would say, or polluting tax, I don't know how you want to call it. Mm -hmm. The UK has it with ADP for a few years already. France is announcing it as well. So it's kind of true that 10 euros or 10 pounds flights, if you have these taxes starting to get put in place to kind of compensate for the amount of pollution that you create when you're flying, they cannot exist anymore at some point yeah it is it is i yeah it's one of those things where i mean we get taxed so heavily over here anyway (laughs) and i'm still not 100 percent convinced that all the money goes to where it's supposed to go that i agree with you we have no idea it's very um black boxy yeah yeah so of course he said that because it was the announcement of their results and they lowered their outlook i mean not that lufthansa is doing really bad but uh, they are suffering from that competition and uh yeah I had a lot of, uh, not pushback, but a lot of uh, remarks about what I said at the very end of the last episode, our episode 100, when I said that I wish that the, the industry would figure out a way to make a better solution to pollution. And, you know, I can plant as many trees as I want to offset. At the end of the day, I'm still guilty. And I, I'm not here to flight shame any of you guys. I don't think that flight shaming leads to anything. But yeah, I get it. I get countries are increasing these taxes that I just mentioned. Other countries are thinking about it. I just mentioned the ones in Europe. And actually the UK is thinking about banning freaking flyer miles altogether mm-hmm. to say that it encourages you to travel more because you want to do a mileage run or because you want to get to that status thing or whatever. I, I'm not sure that's the solution, but it means it's clearly in the discourse these days. Right? Yeah. Uh, I still don't know how I feel about this. I heard a thing on the radio recently about environmentally friendly methods of transportation. And this guy was, he was the founder of Seat 61, which is a great website for train travel and he was making some very salient points but at the same time he did reinforce i think perhaps inadvertently the point that rail travel is great but it's still pretty faffy as well it takes a long time it's 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 more expensive because their economies of scale aren't there compared to airline travel so uh yeah it's a difficult one yeah it's uh, a difficult one. is a carbon tax going to solve it no i don't think so is devaluing frequent flyer points no i also don't think so yeah. If you put the two together, so like devaluating or banning frequent flyer miles, plus adding taxes on flight tickets to kind of compensate and offset the pollution, you end up people flying less and maybe also the slowdown of the economy we're about to experience probably. Well, it might solve all our tourism then, right? Well, <laughs> <But> the, <yeah. laughs> On the other hand, however, the one thing that is a societal, and then I'll go back to guys, I don't want to be too serious here. That also means that flying will be more expensive and that will limit it to an elite. For me, that's the biggest problem because I'm still going to be, and I'm not considering myself the elite, but I'm probably still going to have clients paying me for cool flights to be doing. Whereas the family that travels once a year with EasyJet to Faro or to Croatia, they might be the ones actually suffering because they might not be able to do that anymore. And I'm not sure it's really fair that... Very high-end frequent flyers will always find a way to fly, Mm -hmm. but the poor families or average middle-class families won't be. And that's something that I don't know how to solve that. I don't, yeah, no, neither do I. And 
I don't know if it just seems like one of those things that uh, is a soundbite during an election cycle <laughs> touches on a topic that is important, but offers no plausible or or reasonable or rational way to, to solve it, which is yeah. frustrating because it is a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit later about Tim Clark and he has some interesting points to say about that. Maybe and I'll finish with that on that topic, maybe. Some of the states will implement a system of discounts, meaning the first and the second flights you do during the year are not taxed to allow people to fly their leisure once a year holidays, and it decreases afterwards. Maybe that could be a solution. I, I really don't know. I don't have any insights into this, but that could be something that they will. But clearly, to make this point, in the next five to 10 years, we'll see more and more increases in taxes and more and more of this debate happening, I'm sure. Yeah. The best thing ever, something lighter. The best thing ever about Lufthansa. Now, <laughs> I, okay, I, I don't know if I'm very interested to hear what this might be. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with Lufthansa itself, but it's to do with a very cheeky guy in Delhi, New Delhi. So this gentleman uh, wanted to get fast track every single time he was flying at uh, Delhi Airport, which I haven't done, but you, you, you tell me that it's really a tough airport. It's not the best airport in the world, New Delhi, right? The new, uh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> so apparently he wanted to have fast track every time because clearly that would help him and he was flying low cost. So what he did to have an extreme fast track, he dressed up as a Lufthansa pilot. <gasps> Ooh. And he was able to go at least 15 times because he looked at the CCTV until he was caught to go through the crew thing, pass security like in no time, because he still had to go through security as crew, right? And gain to his gate, which he was flying, I think, Air Asia. So, I mean, you know what? At the same time, it's illegal. At the same time, I admire the guy who actually thought about dressing up as a fool, Lufthansa pilot, and being able to fast track himself like that. It's I know you shouldn't creative. do that, guys, but yeah, yeah, right? I admire that guy. Come on. Of course, he was arrested, and I don't know what the outcome is because the article didn't say, but yeah. What was a uh, catch me if you can? Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> the jump seat. What's a jump seat? Uh, <laughs> final point on Lufthansa, and I think for those who fly uh, will appreciate that. It was never clear what their strategy was. You remember we talked about that two or three years ago. Euro wings, German wings, who's going to fly where? Basically, they said, you know what, Eurowings will stop being a long haul. We're going to put everything back to Lufthansa. So Eurowings comes back to what it should have been from the start. And that's the, some of this very weird kind of like you were flying long haul from the major airports, which is basically Frankfurt and Munich. You'd fly Lufthansa, but you would fly long haul from Dusseldorf and you would fly Eurowings, which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So now it's back to... Yeah, I think they realized their mistake. Yeah, I, they made it overcomplicated, unnecessarily complicated. But I think they might have done it because they were afraid of Norwegian. Mm -hmm. And uh, update on Norwegian, they got some money. They yeah, got, they did uh, some bond. Was it a bond? Yeah, they issue or bond. something complicated. Yeah, they extended the maturity of existing bonds and they got another one or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it means that they have... <clears throat> hopefully, enough money to survive until February 2022. So that's two years. So they have so, two years to figure out how to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> have you flown them recently? No. No. Right? No, not for quite a long time, actually. Same. But, I mean, we keep saying that it's cool to have them around because they put a little of pressure. So they will be around for two more years. I mean, at least, unless they burn their money like in no time. And they also had a funding from China, actually. It's a very strange funding. So what they're going to do... 
the Chinese are going to buy the aircraft and lease them back to Norwegian, something like that. It's, I think the 320 Neos, I think, which is interesting because Norwegian didn't have 320 Neos until now. Didn't they just sell their Argentina operation too? I don't know. I think yesterday right. that was cropping up. They sold it. I saw a graph the other day showing the revenue by origin and the most revenue is US and Norway followed by Spain and the UK. I believe uh, so it. these are yeah and Argentina was like nothing. Right? I think it was almost like a mistake to have been there. So maybe that's why. Yeah. I don't know. And they got six slots at Ethro, man. What the That was You sent me that. That huh? came out of nowhere, didn't it? They got six I mean, that's hundreds of millions in yeah, I mean, a value. Yeah, basically they just use all the money they just got to buy those. And also, it's almost unheard of having one airline getting six slots in one go. So that's for the next uh, season, guys. What did they take them from? That's what I want to know. I have no idea. They actually had asked, because I looked into it, they had asked for 14 slots and they got six. But even six is a lot. I'm wondering, however, if... They announced maybe like a month ago that they have some kind of joint venture with JetBlue. And we know that JetBlue once you arrived in the UK to do these transatlantic flights. Is that a cheeky way to get into it? So maybe that Norwegian, once they get the slots, they will lease some of those back to JetBlue? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know if they're going to use them for short haul or long haul or what they're going to do. But it was quite a coup. Yeah, it is a coup, actually. It is a coup. So, Ethro, our airport, uh, six slots for Norwegian, uh, 25 million for Emirates. <laughs> I actually learned for Emirates, the UK accounts for 26% of their capacity and 56% of their profit. The UK alone. I, I kind of believe that because if you look, when you're trying to fly on them out of here and you look at the prices compared to anywhere else around the market yeah. clearly supports that so they're they're i mean good for them good for them and dubai london combining heathrow and gatwick i don't have the number for stansted the load factors average 93 percent. so basically the planes are always full wow. and and i've flown emirates i hadn't flown almost emirates since the start of the year and i've flown them a lot and i'm flying them again next week yeah, that leg, not only you can never get upgraded, it's always, always, always full. And we're talking 380s, right? It's it's amazing. I had no idea. We we knew that because I think we talked about it a year ago that the route from Dubai to London was one of the best revenue in the industry. Mm-hmm. But 56% of the profit, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. That is insane. <laughs> but it's, you know, that we always talk about these sort of trunk routes and, you know, where the money is. So it's, it is insane, but you know, they're such a efficient machine. Yeah. So like I said, I I flew them a lot recently and it's horrible because, and that's horrible to fly them. It's actually great to fly them, but I I don't know how to, to judge anymore. I'm not, I'm going to do one review today and there's going to be others coming up obviously, but because I've flown them so much, I'm not as impressed as I used to by the product, obviously. And I feel that it has aged a little. That I think that's a downside of them being so consistent. They have, in every 380, it's the same exact product, yeah. the same exact outfit, the same exact seat. I mean, with iterations, I've said it in the past. And the same with the 777, with, again, some iterations right there as well. So... But I don't know. I think that now that we're seeing like all the other airlines coming up with new products, it feels like really 
it's maybe me because I've flown them too much, so I'm not impressed anymore. <laughs> no, and that's not the right word, impressed, because it's still a great product, but yeah. I'm not, you know, like it's Blown almost away. like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's usual. I'm horrible to say that it's usual to fly business class in Emirates. Some of our listeners might be like, Paul, what the hell are you talking about? But No, I know, but that's the same with any product. You kind of, your excitement atrophies a little bit after <laughs> yeah, a certain level of exposure and, you know. Yeah. Because they've kept the same one since basically the start of, you know, I, I flew the 380 the first time with Emirates probably 2011 whenever they introduced them, right? So, and it's the same, you know, it's been like eight years or whatever. So obviously I, I feel like that, but I don't want to say it's a bad product, but I will say this over the like four times or five times I've flown them in the past few months, I can clearly see that they are, and I'm sorry for any of the Emirates fans or Emirates crew or Emirates C-suite guys, we are here. Hello. That are listening. But yeah, it's a four-star airline. I do wow. see why it's a four-star airline and not a five-star airline. Whatever the sky tracks, we know that these are, you know, kind of stupid system. I do not believe that Lufthansa is five stars. Clearly, that's stupid as well. And that was clearly some kind of corruption right there to get this five stars. But they are below Cathay a little bit. They are below Qatar a little bit. And they're below Singapore. Not like magnitudes below. But again, I think the downside is having such consistency means that if they want to introduce a new seat, they have to introduce a new seat to basically the entire fleet of like thousands of aircrafts. And it's not thousands, but I'm doing that for my point. Almost rolling them out in 12 months because that's what they want. They want this consistency. So I'm, I'm wondering how much it blocks them to say, unless we find a way to refurbish our entire fleet, we're not going to do it. No, exactly. You, you know, I because I admire that this consistency is unmatched. I've never seen such consistency. It's it's amazing. Anyway. So I flew to Vietnam, Hanoi, the airport of today. So first I flew actually to Kuala Lumpur, which I had never been before. It was my first time in KL. We'll cover that airport. I know you have thoughts about that one as well. So I flew first, of course, uh, London to Dubai with a 380, as I said. It's fun. They, they were repainting half of the aircrafts for Expo 2020. That must cost them quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I didn't notice that <laughs> a lot recently. They're really doing a push in the IFE as well. They're talking about that. I had no plans to go visit it, but there's one thing that's going to inch me towards it, and I'll come to that in a, in a bit. First, on the ground, so nothing to do with Emirates, and maybe you've seen that because you've been at Heathrow also very often recently. You know, when they paint the names of the aircraft to where to stop in front of the gate of the bridge it says 787-10 but it says 350-1k that's weird why does it not say 10 i know it's called the 350-1000 yeah but it's weird it is weird maybe they're trying to save some money on those extra characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably so that was an okay flight again i don't want to say it was great it was not bad it was it was a good flight i was emirates seems to know me because every time now that i want to book a seat they give me if it's available immediately 23a which is my favorite seat in the flight it's the bulkhead upper level at the back, just before that very famous bar, because the bulkheads have slightly more legroom. And if I have the older version, I have even more storage. So I, I like that seat. And it seems that Emirates have that on file because every time I book a flight in business class, that's the seat that is given to me. So thank you, Emirates, nice. for, for doing that. So I don't understand when they give you an Emirates ticket and when they don't. They didn't. And that was a day flight, so it's okay. But I had flights that were 
I don't know if you consider them day flights because by the time you arrive in Dubai, it's super late in the night. If anyone has found a clue and when they give you an amenity ticket and when they don't, tell me I don't need one. Uh, we said it many times, but it's very uneven there. And it's really only on that route. All the other routes have always gotten one, but that London route seems maybe because they have so many people, they it's too expensive for them to give all the amenity tickets yeah. to everyone. But uh, yeah, it's funny because there are slight variances of how the crew behaves with you in some. And again, I've taken very similar flights. I think, you know, people have been trained, let's say, 10 years ago, and some people have been trained five years ago, and there's slight differences in how they do. Meaning that in some flights, you have the mattress already given to you, and they say, do you want me to put it for you? And in some other flights, the mattress is not on your seat, it's parked somewhere, stored somewhere, and they come with it, and they say, do you want me to put the mattress for you? Mm -hmm. It's still very consistent, but it's interesting to see that. And that tells you guys I've flown Emirates way too much to being <laughs> able to see that kind of stuff because it was like, <laughs> or I'm very bored when I fly. I've literally seen everything on the IFE, man. And they have like 5,000 channels. And I'm like, I don't know what to see anymore, what to watch yeah. anymore. Have you, have you flown with your iPad recently? Yeah, all the time, yeah. no matter short haul, long haul. It's always with me. I think it's my way forward because I don't have anything to watch anymore. Though though uh, Emirates has introduced the HBO series now, so that's oh, pretty that's cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is um, the group, which was nice, um, I think the guy was called... Mohammed was really really cool on that flight and he comes and he says um so did you make your choice so they uh, for those one context before actually departing before actually even taxiing they come and ask you for your choice of lunch in that case it was for me so have you made your choice and like yeah I would like the shower no we don't have that oh I'm sorry you got the wrong menu fine no worries hands me another menu I'm gonna have and I think I'm starting to say something like I don't remember beef something whatever and he says uh, and he gave me another wrong menu <laughs> can I get the caviar from first class instead and you know no I couldn't obviously so yeah uh, but uh, look it was a very nice flight it felt to me and this is where I, I came to four star it was the first time for instance that when I asked for one of my menu choices and because I'm on 23 so you know like in the back that the answer was i'm not sure there will be enough they were in the end and it's fine you know i can go there like so many choices i'm not going to be entitled thinking that i need to have the beef or whatever i'm just saying that it had never happened in almost 10 years of flying with them huh. so i'm wondering how much they are trying we, we i said i think a year ago two years ago that they removed two staff two crew from the 380 upper deck and it shows mm. as in they're more stressed they have less time to dedicate to you it just feels that compared to some of the other flights i've done and i'm not going to compare to the first class i've done i was lucky and that's going to be for a follow-up episode it seems a little bit below what it used to be yeah i always wonder when they remove crew from a cabin or business class or premium cabin how they compensate for that how much do they listen to the crew about, you know, we have to do this much more and all, all of that? Because it always, it's always noticeable to it regular is. travelers. Yeah. And it's still very good. You know, they're still smiling. They still, but you can see, clearly feel that they are walking faster, that they have to do all this stuff that they were doing with two more people faster. And they're doing that great. I'm really not saying here that I'm disappointed. No. But it's, 
it's noticeable. Yeah, I think that's the right word. It, it is noticeable. Anyway, but still a very good flight. Um, I arrive in Dubai and I have, I think, four or five hours. And I decide to do, and that's a tip for you, I decide to upgrade myself to the first class lounge. It's possible. You can do that on both. It's a bit expensive, however. So you can pay $200 if you either, I think, Skywards maybe silver or gold, and or if you are ticketed in business class, you can upgrade yourself to that uh, lounge. For me, it was in the concourse A, so that lounge is very quiet. $200, was it worth it? Yeah, because there was literally no one, and I wanted to have that. It is expensive, however. Yeah, right? that's a lot of money, that. isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't do it for two hours. I would not even do it for three hours. For almost six, the value was there. And it's not about the value, oh, I'm going to have better champagne because I didn't almost drink anything because it was the middle of the day and I wanted to actually work. But the rest area is almost empty. You can sleep if you have a longer layover. I think Emirates only gives you hotel if you have a seven and a half or eight hours layover, below that they don't, fair enough. But for those who want to experience first class lounges, my favorite is Concourse A at Dubai Airport, DXB, and it's 200 bucks. A friend of mine, I'm not gonna mention him because I don't wanna put him in a bad situation, tells me what he does. <laughs> so the way it's laid out, you've experienced it, Alex, the lounge is an entire floor, basically. Yeah. So you have the first class lounge on the first floor and the business class lounge on the second floor. Presumably, first class people have to walk less or something. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Sure, that uh, was the idea. So my friend, what he does, that trick, and it worked for him on 60% of the time. So that's actually not bad. He enters the first class lounge, you know, before the counters. And these are very large. There's like tons of counters. And depending on the time of the day, sometimes the counters are only manned by like two or three people because there's not a lot of people. So what he does, he pretends he's on a phone call and waits, you know, talks randomly, I guess, to no one on his phone. And when all the staff is busy, kind of makes his way in. And he says that 60% of the time is not being stopped by anyone entering the lounge. He's ticketed business class, but he gets into the first class. And a few times he's been stopped. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I was in a business class. I was just talking on the phone and I just entered. <laughs> uh, I can see I, how it would work. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's a recommended course of action, but that made me laugh that he would do that. I mean, uh, this episode is clearly about people being I was going to say, we, we have a theme here. <laughs> I'm going to dress up as an Emirates uh, uh, pilot. Actually, yeah. I'm sure you can find on eBay some of these, um, you know, the little hat and everything. Uh, not my size, probably, because I'm, I'm too tall. I've never seen a, a flight attendant my height at uh, Emirates. KLM, yeah. I'm not sure a KLM outfit would work at the first class lounge in Dubai. No. Uh, so then I fly DXB to Kuala Lumpur. For those who fly in Dubai, interestingly, they really revamped a lot the sea gates. We used to be the dire gates, the older. It's very strange how they name it. Terminal 3 is what you guys know, what you know, Alex. And Terminal 1 is the sea gates. But at the same time, you never think you're switching terminals. It's very bizarre. But anyway... They revamped them, clearly hinting at the fact that they're not going to move to Dubai World Central anytime soon because they're kind of making an effort on that airport. Mm. The one thing that was, was incredible on that flight is it was empty, literally empty. So meaning that sometimes these 380s with Emirates are not really <laughs> a good idea. And I've heard, and are mixing flights up on the stuff I've heard, the rumors I've heard, because I don't want to put anyone in a bad situation, but someone from Emirates 
They have tens of 380s and 777s with covers on parked at Dubai World, meaning they are not using them. There's something going on with that because the Dubai World opening has been weird to start with. It's not even anywhere near full capacity. And I think that there's something, because they kept talking about integration and that never happened. I, I don't think they know what to do with it. I think it's going to be pushed back by at least 15 years. Yeah. So meaning uh, the whole plan of replacing uh, Dubai DXB is not going to happen anytime soon. So do you like Kuala Lumpur as an airport? Uh, I don't <laughs> like how far it is away from the city. Oh my God. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah oh. It's a, it's a trek. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As an airport, yeah, it's pretty flipping good. A lot of it. I mean, it's it's got its quirks, but it's pretty flipping good, especially the new terminal. I was impressed. We'll cover it in another episode. But of course, it was my first experience. So I had very little to compare with. And I land. Everything goes well. And I arrive at luggage delivery. And I had a luggage to be delivered. And all the belts were announced by hand. So they had like a whiteboard. And they were literally writing on the whiteboard belt number whatever. And I was like, this is strange for such a very modern airport. And then on the way out, when I was leaving, I stayed like three days in Kuala Lumpur and I was leaving to Ho Chi Minh, the economic capital of Vietnam. Again, none of the screens were working. You know, the LCD screens telling you which check-in counter, which gate. And I was like, this is weird. Everything was written by hand. The boarding process, she took like 25 minutes to print my boarding pass and she was doing that by hand. And I was like, the heck is happening here? The airport had been hacked. No, you're kidding me. So now they say, and that was a week ago, that no, 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 we've never been hacked. But a lot of people are saying, yeah, that's the government trying to say that uh, they are better than they actually are. Yeah, so they had to shut down the entire systems and they shut down the Wi-Fi and everything because they couldn't find where they've been hacked from. As a safety measure, they shut everything down. So Which is probably the right response yeah. in an airport. But it became completely manual. So I was like in the 50s. I mean, everything worked, by the way, right? I mean, I was able to make the flight and everything. So I'm not here making a diss on Kuala Lumpur. It's just that it's a very strange situation. We have basically none of the systems working. It's crazy. How has this, A, never happened before? And B, how crap does your (laughs) IT infrastructure need to be for this to happen? They need to call BA. Yeah. Oh, I don't <laughs> because, know what I have a, I have a, for next time we record, an update on the whole data breach thing. Oh. From a personal perspective. So maybe next next time we record, I can tell you guys how that's going. I hope you're becoming rich. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so directly to my flight, again, because we're going to cover Kuala Lumpur in a forthcoming episode. I flew Vietnam Airlines, Airways, Airlines, Vietnam Airlines. No, I'm not sure. It's part of uh, SkyTeam, I believe. A 321, old-style lounge seats for two hours. It's great. Very, you know, the old analog buttons for everything, including the recline. <laughs> there, was a, there was a sign on the main door of the aircraft. It says, if you open the door, the fine is 20 million. And it was like, what is 20? What? <laughs> it only happens in Asia, doesn't it? Yeah, first, exactly. I was exactly about to say that. The first, they actually have to put a sticker that you do not open the door, which, yeah. And then 20 million, actually 700 quid. It's still a lot of money, I guess, but yeah, it's, uh, it's rather, very striking. I'd rather not see. do that. <laughs> the quirk is that it's not a domestic flight, but let's be honest, it's two hours. People seemed to be sitting wherever they wanted. <laughs> so I 
I had 4K, I think. It was in business class. But a, a random dude decided to sit in 1K. He was actually ticketed in business class and then refused to move to a assigned seat. And thank God the other person was kind of... And I could hear because 4K was the last row of business behind me. I had economy. Everybody was arguing about where they would sit. And I was like... It's written on your freaking boarding pass. Anyway, yeah. It still made for a very nice flight. The pre-drink orange bubbly apple was very good. Oh, that's very good. amicable service. Really, honestly, very, very nice. I had taken a chance. I said, I'm going to sit on purpose on the left side of the aircraft because the one thing you get... You get a very cool landing if you sit it on the left because most of the time they land on that direction. So you can see the entire city, Saigon, which was the old, the old name. Another airport we're going to cover in another episode, but very interesting as well. The one thing I'd say is the visa process. I was stupid because now there's e-visa and I went for the old style waiting at the visa process counter, which took me at least an hour. Don't do that, guys. Uh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and the menu of that 321 was interesting. The first item was meat with rice. The second item was chicken with rice. And the third item was fish with noodles. I just want to know, what is meat with rice? What kind of... Do you... <laughs> Dealer's choice. <laughs> <laughs> and also, that's one of those questions... There's, there's, this, there's this category of questions that you want to ask, but you really don't want to know the answer to. That's what I took it. It was actually very good, by the way. Uh, but I was like, meat. I'm like, anyway, it was a very nice flight. The IFE wasn't working, although they had some type of IFE. But, you know, two hours, super nice. Very nice introduction to Vietnam with a 321. One question I'm going to ask you, Alex. Do you think that Airbus is selling the English voice package for all the airlines. It seems to me that this voice is always the same when it's a foreign carrier and they have the pre-recorded announcement for safety, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me it's always the same person. Yeah, I think that's more than likely the case where they offer it as a package. That's you a should do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would, that would bother people, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what? I had a... Paolo is listening to this. Hi, Paolo. I'm going to invite you one of these days to talk about airlines. He knows a lot as well. Paolo told me that you have a very late night radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, people all com comment on it a lot positively and negatively for attache as well <laughs> my uh, voiceover voice versus my ptc voices are very different <laughs> and uh some people love it some people hate it but i think that's the case with most things i'll take yeah. late night deed that's fine i like that's that. nice actually yeah, i've been called a lot worse <laughs> <laughs> i was at this conference in, in singapore and i was doing what we call a voice of god which is talking over the microphone but no one sees you on stage right and uh a lot of people saying we really thought that it was a pre-recorded announcement we didn't realize it was you because like you when i do these i have like a very different kind of tone and yeah it. Mm, yeah anyway uh enough about our voice i think if you if you ever wanted to hear it all you have to do is go back and listen to the early episodes where you said the layover is your weekly dose of aviation innovation oh my that, god that's your voice uh, yeah. of god voice absolutely yeah <laughs> Um, Vietnam Airlines Airways, I'm pretty sure it's Airlines, is actually testing the 220. So they're going to get the 220. That's very cool. One more. And they're replacing actually the ATR-72 by the 220. Interesting replacement. So more 220, more power to that one. I'm really happy that more um, airlines are getting it. And uh, it was a very small business class, but landing at Ho Chi Minh City, we still had a business class bus, which was totally unexpected. Not needed, but very nice to have. So thank you, 
Vietnam Airlines for doing that. I stayed one day, two day, one day in Ho Chi Minh. What an incredible city. You've never been to Vietnam. No, I haven't. Right? I, I'd love to one day. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm probably going to go back in 2020. It's incredible. Uh, no time for this episode probably to talk about it, but it is incredible. The two cities, and I've done a few other things, are very, very strikingly different. Mm. The north and the That's south what I've is. Heard. Yeah, it's very different. The, the south is more brash. The North is more reserved. Both have their qualities. And literally my first night, uh, I took a hotel which was not very far from the airport in, in Ho Chi Minh. And it's already like 11.30. And I'm like, I'm only here for one day. I have a meeting tomorrow. I'm not going to stay in the hotel. The weather is cool. I took a grab, which is the equivalent of Uber there. And uh, literally told the guy, center where stuff is happening at this time. It was like a Sunday night. And holy cow, what the... Yeah, <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, it went just for a drink. I had no ulterior motive, but it was really nice. So I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, back to planes. So I was back in Ho Chi Minh, Saigon, of course, this time for a domestic flight because I was going Saigon to Hanoi. And that's the one I was looking forward because I was flying a 350. Haha. <laughs> They put a 350 on this route, which is pretty cool. They also have Dreamliners, by the way, on that route as well. It was like 5 a.m. and it was super busy, the airport. So means the economy is going good if you have a lot of people like this. Um, so have you ever flown Iberia in business class no. or the non-studio seats on Etihad? Yes. So those are the ones that they have. They have the herringbone, so they're closer to Cathay on international routes. But on these domestic routes, they're using views and they are for me the underdog of business class seats because they're not fancy, they're not really, you know, striking to look at, but they're very open. There's a lot of room for someone tall as me. And honestly, again, for a flight that was maybe what, two and a half hours, it was fantastic. This time I opted to uh, sit on the right side of the aircraft in order to see the coast. And my God, it's magnificent. So yeah, very, very cool flight. <laughs> Again, that warning about not opening the door. That's funny, uh, isn't it? It's like, okay. <laughs> it must be happening if they actually say that, man, right? It is. Yeah. Um, the business class is full. So the economy of the country must be working very well. They spent a lot of time and money on investing in the infrastructure, the aviation infrastructure of that country. Yeah. And it's clearly paying off. Yeah, it is. I know he's actually expanding. I'll come to that when I land there. But really, great airline, great staff. The staff, you know, it was a domestic, but there was this guy, I forgot his name, I'm so sorry, not fluent in English, but made a lot of effort to... I was the only foreigner. <laughs> and that was fantastic. Honestly, I would fly them. I've heard reviews that on long haul... This other version, this other seat, which is more like uh, herringbone, reverse herringbones, are a bit uncomfortable if you're tall. I've not done them, but this one for two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, I don't remember exactly. It was perfect. Right. The food was nice. It was. I didn't eat that much because I don't really do breakfast, but I still wanted to try. Really great. The one thing I noticed, Alex, on the menu, they had printed both the way to Hanoi and the way back. On the way back for lunch, there was pizza. Right. Ah! And I didn't do that. Wow. I need okay, to so there you go. There's another one to add. I feel like we should have a spreadsheet of airport and airline pizza options. <laughs> so... IFE Limited, I cannot judge if that's the IFE, they also run on international routes. 
as I said, I've flown a lot recently, so probably I've seen everything. It was not bad. It's really funny because, you know, everybody has modern family nowadays on their TV options because I guess that's a thing that everybody loves. And usually you have like four episodes and these four episodes have a title. Here it was Modern Family 1, Modern Family 2, Modern Family 3, and Modern Family 4. No idea of which season and which episode it was like. Oh, Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, that's kind of useless. (laughs) But yeah, actually I didn't uh, look at anything on the IFE because it's a 350, so they had the cameras or the Airbuses, including that one from the tail, which is the only thing I watched for the entire flight. So, oh yeah, by the way, not only the sticker for the doors, right? During the PA announcement in English, we remind you to not open the doors. I mean... I'm is looking it a at Alex's Vietnam face. thing? Is it a... What is the deal? I've heard more st- stories of that happening for me where in China. I never heard yeah. anything happen in Vietnam, but Vietnam being very close to China and having a lot of uh, dealings and, you know, uh, links in terms of economy and trade with China, maybe... I don't know, man. I just... I, I want... Know. Yeah. I'd, if anybody knows the answer to this, please tell us. Yeah. That's it. I'll go to the airport at the end and I go to, to Emirates as well a little bit later. Do you use the app and the website called Award Wallet? No, I do not. I use it because you can literally trace all your freaking flyer miles and have the number of miles being updated. That includes hotels and everything. And it does a lot of nifty things. Stuff that, to be honest, you can find elsewhere, like on TripIt and etc. The one thing, and the reason I mention it, there's one thing that they do very, very, very well. Every time I land, the app gives me a notification. A notification is super actionable. And the actionable is you are booked to go to this hotel and here's the hotel number in case you need it. If I've booked a car, like a car company to pick me up, the first notification I get when I land at the airport is like, here's the number of the car company in case you need it. And I'm like, this is so freaking good. I don't need to know the rest. I need to, in case I need something, here are directions and here's a phone number. It's simple. Yeah. It wow. should be, yeah. So anyway, very cool. That's, it's, uh, it, yeah. So many of these apps are like overcomplicated and, and, you know, they anticipate needs that no one ever has. And the stuff that that provides, like with those things, or what you've just suggested at least, are practical and useful. And yes, they're not sexy, but, you know, I just want as much useful information as I can get. So talking about the useful information, the useful flights, how was your Aero Mexico from London to Mexico? You've done that... It was last month, I think. Yeah, it's a very consistent product. Again, it's out of Terminal 4, which I always say is it's just kind of strange feeling to do it. Um, <laughs> Aeromexico are expensive in premium, uh, in business class. They don't have premium economy. They have something weird. They give a weird name to some parts of economy to make it sound better than it actually is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it, the, the business class product. It's good. Yeah, don't okay. get me wrong. It's good, but it's very, very, very overpriced. Okay. So I went economy and I had a seat next to me or the seat next to me was in between. And I slept, I slept really well, actually, because it's a red eye. I think the flight leaves at 11 p.m. from Heathrow and gets you into, which is unusual going in that direction, gets you in around 4.30 in the morning Mexico okay. City time. And yeah, it's fine. I, I didn't eat. I just went straight to sleep. And the service is always kind of... What, the one thing I know I notice about Aeromexico long haul, and I'd be interested if anyone else has had this as well, is that it's very noisy. What, when, you mean the aircraft? No, it's, it's because it's a Dreamliner. Uh, oh, yeah. 
It's the boarding. You mean the service? Oh. And the service to an extent. It just seems really loud. But then when I flew back, I flew on PA, it was the same thing. It felt really just chaotic is not the right word. There was just a lot of like this cacophony going on. <laughs> And hold, I, on. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, you right there. You flew back with BA, so was it like open joy? Did you do like two separate tickets? I did, I did two separate tickets. Um, oh, okay, wow. Amerim Exco don't punish you for doing a single versus oh, a Thank God, a this return. is how it should be done. Yeah, yeah, and BA, I used miles because I needed a specific flight on a specific day, and there was no other way to do it timing-wise. So to I just it, used yeah. miles, okay. and it was actually a pretty good use of miles. I know... I know in terms of the hierarchy of usefulness when it comes to miles, actually buying a ticket isn't always that great. But yeah. in this instance, it actually worked out pretty well because BA do the thing where it tells you how many miles it will cost you, but then you can pay a little bit more cash. Yeah, in the yeah, mile. Yeah. So I, I balanced that out and I, I felt it was a pretty good deal. That's one thing I really appreciated. Not a lot of airlines do this ability to mix and match clearly from the, from the start you know what you're gonna get you know it's not like i have to go through the entire booking process and maybe at the end i will know here you can say oh i'm gonna pay a little bit more and it works really well for you yeah. you can't interestingly you can't do that on the award two for one voucher oh yeah there you go huh. <laughs> a little detail maybe the their it is not able to handle that kind of uh processing power no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so sorry i was interrupting you writing you aero mexico so you say it was very loud yeah i don't know uh, what it was about that but aero mexico i've taken them long haul and short haul now they're not bad they're really not bad i know that they get they seem to get panned at least short haul on some of the airline review sites but i quite like them the ife is is okay the service is uh, you know kind of familiar and and pretty friendly but yeah i like i like that the timings for the flights are so great in and out of mexico city because they are both red eyes so you maximize your time on the ground there yeah that's good yeah, yeah that's good i like that but it, it's but i hate that you freaking airport <laughs> so it's funny how it's evolved you were talking about how at the top of the show how we get used to products and how i got used to emirates but here is another of these uh, psychological traits of human beings how when i asked you about mexico airport the first time you went when we actually covered mexico airport you were kind of harsh but not too much and now with time passing because you've been there quite too often you're like the hell is that airport yeah. about <laughs> yeah it's not a good airport uh, and you know they it's one of those things where they 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 at least thought they were going to get a new airport so you're not going to invest a ton in infrastructure yeah. but the, that place is yeah. permanently under construction <laughs> And there's some decent places for, for food and the lounges are okay, but it's just, it's not a good airport. But last, because last time you flew, I mean, you flew quite a lot to Mexico City this past month. That was the first time you did a direct because every time you were stopping somewhere before. I've done it a couple of times direct this year and a couple of times through okay. uh, Dallas or Miami. Yeah. Back and forth between the two. If I could make the timings work, I would obviously go towards flying on a one world carrier. Yeah. which I did yeah. um, in the past. But this time, the timings just worked better for me to be on a direct flight. And how was BA on the way back? I was in premium economy. Yeah, again, it was it was loud. I didn't eat because uh, the flight leaves at 1130 and I didn't really want to do that. But actually, you know what? The BA premium economy product is is fine. I was lucky. I didn't have anybody sitting next behind me, so I didn't feel guilty about reclining my seat. I think I was asleep before we even took off. I was so tired. Oh wow! And yeah, I slept uh, slept like a baby the whole the whole ways, which I think speaks that premium economy seat is really not bad. Okay, I've never done. I've almost never done premium economy. I know, guys, you're going to tell me, Paula, you're always in business class. It's not true. I, I do. 
economy and business, but I've almost never dealt premium economy. Well, it's not so nearly I mean, as available, is it? I mean, one of the reasons why, and it obviously wouldn't have happened in this case because I wasn't a mileage ticket, but you're so much more likely on BA to be upgraded if you're on a paid premium economy ticket because it's such a small true. cabin. True. Uh, it's happened to me pretty often, especially on busy routes like New York and Miami. Oh, uh, cool. I actually, yeah, I'm going to retract what I said. I've tried a seat because remember, guys, when I did that Hong Kong. Ethrow flight, which was a hackathon in the air. I was sat in business class in the last row of business class in the entire group. The participants were in the um, premium economy. So I, I got to try to seat BA there. It was, it was, it was good. I, I would totally consider it, but I don't know. That was a 380 and you flew a Dreamliner. So are they different? I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. Um, you also flew to uh, Faro. I know we covered that earlier. For me, I went just before the summer for holidays, but you went for holidays as well? Or no, I was there work? for work. Oh, that's cool. You have work in Faro. Man, uh, no, you're too lucky. Yeah, that it was too. great. It's lovely. <laughs> I love that part of Portugal. I love Portugal. So that was great. I didn't, yeah. wasn't there for very long at all, but that was a very easy, easy BA. journey on BA. Yeah, yeah usual. And a yeah, great little it's... airport. Yeah, that airport is, I mean, we talked about it, but uh, you have way more experience than I do. But I kind of I kind of liked it. You know, the R airport is very interesting, guys. When we record, we often try to talk about an airport just after we've been to it. Sometimes it's not the case. But in that case, for me, it was my first and only time I've been there. And now, six months later, I can still remember the airport, which means they make something right. Because some of the other airports, I'm trying to remember, I'm like... Uh, let's go on Google Image to kind of find out what it was, actually, yeah. because I have no idea. This one, it just it's simple. There's nothing to write home about in terms of design or whatever. Just the canopy is really nice uh, from outside if you like architecture. But they made something right. It just works super well. It does. Just, uh, it really does. So back to Hanoi, I did actually one trip that was uh, non-scheduled, but that was really cool. So I was there for almost a week for work in Hanoi. What a great city, much more quiet, as I said, compared to Ho Chi Minh uh, City. Really, it's a fantastic city to visit. The old train tracks, the markets, the, uh, I went and got that's my specialty. I took my camera one day and I said, I'm going to get lost in the city. And I went into like the back streets of the back streets when I was the only foreigner. I ate like, you know, oh, chick that. street food, chicken. No one was speaking English. It was, uh, that's, by the way, that's another striking difference. The South, at least what she mean, people speak English relatively well. The North, it's more um, hit and miss. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I went to these small streets where they, you know, they have a lot of mopeds, you know, bikes. Yes, yeah, the only way to get around and, from what I understand. And my God, like they are like very narrow, almost blade runnery type of streets. And you have these guys going super fast in both directions and you have to walk at the same time. And it was totally lucky shot. You know, I was just walking and said, I wanted to walk and see what happens. And it was fantastic. I mean, one day I'll put the pictures out. I know people always say, Paul, you never put your pictures out. And it's true. But it was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So I really love that city and I would recommend it to anyone. But I still had like a little bit more time. And I said, okay, now that I've seemingly have done quite a lot of uh, Hanoi, what could I do? And I decided to do a crazy trip, which was going to the um, Halong Bay, which is this very famous bay on the southeast of um, Hanoi, which by car takes you around four hours. And you have just guys, just Google Halong, H-A space uh, long, L-O-N-G, and it's fantastic. And I said, I don't have the time to do four hours go see it and for our respect. And I tried to find a solution. Of course, Googled it and immediately thought <laughs> helicopter and, and, and plane. And I found actually a company 
that does seaplanes. Uh, man, they have uh, Cessna Grand Caravans going there, which is a, a hybrid, so it can land both on soil and on water. So they have retractable wheels under the the floating things. And I couldn't find a way to do there with a plane and back. I literally only had like a block of seven hours. So I found a number online and we did the entire kind of, uh, <laughs> the entire negotiation on WhatsApp. And it was like, yeah, I can offer you a trip with uh, the seaplane and then you go back by bus. I'm like, no, I don't have the time. They actually didn't have that package when you do both by the plane. And I forced the hand and I, of course, paid a little bit of extra money and they made basically a trip just for me. So I wow. had a seaplane there. I had a boat there to go to see Halong Bay and a seaplane back. Uh, I want to say hi to Captain Bruce, who is a Canada trained, who was my pilot. Awesome pilot. First, he was very um, surprised to see me twice the same day in a place. Like, nobody does that. I'm like, yeah, well. So I had twice the overview of Halong Bay because instead of going a straight line, either when you go to Halong Bay from Hanoi or you go back, they first do a little kind of a tour over this bay, which is fantastic. And twice I did it, and twice it was absolutely stunning. I can only recommend it. It's not cheap to do it. I would not recommend it to do twice the seaplane because nobody is like me and does these trips in seven hours. It doesn't make any sense. But for those who are in the region, at least one of the leg do it with the seaplane. Not only is it a great freaking Cessna Grand Caravan, but also the view is absolutely fantastic from the air, something you cannot see from the ground. There's apparently also a helicopter service. I don't want to think how much that one costs. Yeah, I was just thinking that's probably, yeah. The name of the company is Hai Au, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's H-A-I space AU aviation and they're really cool. It's really fun because when you are in the domestic terminal, which is the old terminal, the new one is international, it's almost like a VIP service because they have their counter, but then from the counter to the gate, there's always someone with you that goes past with security. And I'm like, I don't need you, but it's really nice. And they weigh you individually. So I had to weigh my own body, not only my, I didn't have any luggage obviously, but just my camera and a few things. The staff was very nice as well on both sides. Of the, Of course, it's not really an airport on the other because, yeah, I should have said that when you arrive in Halong Bay, there's no such thing as an airport. So <laughs> he basically lands in the bay wow. and then kind of drives, floats for a while. And then there's a jetty and then basically comes back to land. It's, it's really cool. They have the, you know, the, the wheels are under these floating devices. So basically, when he just advances at some point, he comes and then he stops and you are like a terminal. It's not a terminal. You're, yeah. Like a, something. A shack. It's, yeah. it's more than a shack because they make... Clearly, I can see that there's a lot of Chinese tourists that have appeared and I've talked to, I had a captain for my boat trip. I know that was a bit crazy, but I had my own boat as well. Wow. <laughs> so the guys are super cool. And, and he was telling me how the difference has been in the past five years because a lot of the Chinese tourists are coming now. So they're building a lot of modern tourist infrastructure that they didn't have five years ago. It's still not completely you know, built up, but you can feel that there is an entire economy built around tourism. Uh, so go fast, guys, before it's maybe too built up. Yeah. Um, and I was very lucky also, the same company, I can't give you the names. If you ever, guys, if you want to go to Vietnam and Hanoi and do that trip, just reach out to me. I'll give you to reach out to because all the boats take the same kind of trip. And I was telling, I literally said to the, to the, on WhatsApp to that lady who was organizing my trip and I was trying to negotiate hard on the price and everything. I said, I'm a photographer. I'm not a tourist. I don't want anyone in my pictures. Don't big me to the usual, you know, thing that every tourist does. So my captain on the boat 
took me to a different route and I was alone the entire time. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, again, it was custom made. I'm not sure it's something that I can say that everybody would do, but it's fantastic. So yeah, and the, the plane, man, comparing to the seaplane I had done in the Maldives, which was with the Otter. I was going to say, was, that was an Otter, wasn't it? Yeah, that was quieter, the Cessna. It was uh, probably a bit bigger, maybe. I'm not even sure. No, it's not bigger, actually. Yeah, it I, was think, just quiet. I think they're longer, aren't they? Yeah, maybe longer, but it doesn't seem there were more seats. Though I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, super cool. You know, they do these kind of, like they do in these small planes. They still have to do the safety procedures and they basically shout the procedure of a noise. And then probably my favorite part, of course, flying over Halong is beautiful. And that's clearly the, the highlight of the thing. It's probably taxiing in Hanoi Airport amongst super big birds, like 350s and Dreamliners, and you're like in this small Cessna, and you're like, holy cow, these things are really big next to me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's intimidating, isn't it? When you, It is. Uh, yeah. It is absolutely intimidating. Talking about noise, I've been using for the past few months the Powerbeats Pro, which are Beats, so, you know, owned by Apple. And I would say that even though they're not noise cancelling, I almost do not miss noise cancelling with these. Wow. Very, very good. Yeah, very, very good. The, the fit, maybe it's my ears. I don't know. The fit is really good. I, I bought them mainly for exercising because they have this thing that, you know, runs over your ear so they don't mm. fall. I love them. Actually, I have also the AirPods Pro, which are noise cancelling. They are good. I've tested them in a flight recently, but I still prefer, for some reason, the PowerBeats Pro. So there you go. We're not reviewers of headphones, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what environment Environmental test is an environmental you, test. So. Still using your Bose, right? I do. Yeah, I've got the. I don't know what they're, but I love them. The wireless. Yeah, the, although they're developing a strange rattle inside the <laughs> earbud, which apparently is common with this model. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. I hope I don't have to mm. replace them because those aren't a cheap item. No, they're not cheap. The US is still, I think, the cheapest. Mm. Singapore is pretty good, actually, for pricing as well. So, uh, last bit. I'm sorry because I'm talking a lot and not letting Alex talk today. I'm really sorry, Alex. Not at all. Uh, no, I, listen I to The return, Hanoi to Dubai and then to London. So, Hanoi part this time international part, the first time exposure to the international part. Got a new terminal, probably five, six years. Very nice. It works pretty well. Everything was fast. You know, it was kind of antsy about how long, would it, you know, when you don't on airport, will immigration be long? Will security be long? Everything was fast, That's though good. there were quite a few people. So I was very happy with it. There was a lounge on the upper floor which I forgot the name of, which is a kind of lounge for all the airlines that don't have their own lounge. Mm -hmm. so it's not Vietnam because it was flying Emirates. A little bit of views over the apron, but not that much. And views over the airport, nothing to write home about. Not bad. I mean, because the sofas are very plush, not enough power outlets. But yeah, you have then your usual duty-free shops, which nowadays are the same in every single freaking airport. You know, I mean, it's no fun anymore. The interesting bit is, however, the, the flight. Emirates is flying a 777 from Hanoi to Dubai. And as you know, guys, the 777 has the older seats, which are 232, which a lot of people criticize, like Emirates, such a great airline, doesn't have all a laxes. Fair enough. The one interesting thing is my first time experiencing the new type of 777. So they're still 232, but they are clearly newer. They are first full life flat, whereas before they were slightly angled. I didn't sleep, didn't really need to sleep, but it's noticeable. They have a bar. They were able, I mean, man, they were able to build a mini bar. You know how they have, because you've flown the 380. They were able to build a mini bar to each seat on a 232 configuration. That's crazy. Wow. So you have like two, three bottles, like a 
I don't know, Sprite and water and maybe sparkling water, soda water or something. But still, yeah, it's not full L-axis. I had like the bulkhead window, so I had someone next to me, so I had to kind of step over him-ish. But it's still okay, honestly. It works well. The screens are larger. There is still like three remotes, you know, like you, have, you, you can have the touchscreen, yeah, obviously. Got, yeah, you got all, you have yeah. like yeah, 25 remotes in a small screen next to you. Like it's almost kind of too much. But And you can see that they made some effort in thinking about the UX of the seat because when you are like in lounge or in life flat, there are an additional rows of buttons that were hidden when you're like in the takeoff position or landing position. So more accessible, easier accessible rows of buttons to switch your seats and the lights next to you. It's, it's well done. I'm pretty sure... These seats are completely custom for Emirates because I've never seen them anywhere else. I cannot relate these seats to anything else in any other airlines. So probably they're fully custom. Unless somebody listened to this, I've seen something very similar. I, I know that 232 is something that we've seen over and over. But these seats with that configuration is very unique. What's always fascinated, just on the point that you're just making about the uniqueness of the seats, what I'm always fascinated by is that the various manufacturers have these frameworks, like these skeletons, that they know will fit in a certain aircraft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> And then the customization happens on top of it. And the variance, I mean, in some cases where we've seen it with the, the Zodiac seat that everybody has, yeah, it's very yeah. obvious what yeah, that, that's obvious. the same yeah, seat. Yeah. But there's some where you're like, that's amazing that those are the same seat. And the, seat, the yeah. suite format, I think, is where you get so much of the customization. So I... I Emirates have the clout where they can do that, but I'm always, I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. so interesting. What a fun job to be able to have. Oh, yeah, that that's absolutely. Very good privacy, actually. The guy next to me, I couldn't really see him. The, the, the divider goes so high that it's almost like I'm alone, and I, it works well. I still understand people criticizing for non-full ale access in a world of all the business class pretty much are going to full ale access for everyone, but I cannot fault that seat. I cannot fault the quality of the seat as well. You could see that the leather had a pattern on it that was very modern. I don't like the fake wood thing, or maybe it's real wood with some kind of varnish on top. I never liked it and that fake gold thing, but it's done in a very tasteful manner for this one, so it works. Again, I prefer something more like Cathay Pacific, these kind of colors, but it works really, really well. So yeah, good seat. I want to say hi to three friends, Sebastian, Maxime, and Sally, because they were they were in economy, but uh, they came back to me and we made like selfies, me seated in the seat, and all the crew was laughing because these guys were like, they had never been in the business class. So yeah. <laughs> Remember guys, because they're all much younger than I am. My first time in business class, I was maybe 34 years old. So you have time because they yeah. were like, Paul, you know, they were like, you know, 23 and 22. They're like, oh, I wish, like, yeah, I was 34 the first time I flew business class. The crew, and this is where I say that's a four-star line. The crew was kind of meh. Really? Okay. But not not very engaging. Kind of, here's your towel. Here's your first drink. Here's your food. And pretty much that's it. Not in a negative way, but like, but you know, this... Yeah. Yeah, disinterested, which is fine. But anyway, when we land at DXB, we're super far away. So we have to take a bus and everything. It's We're actually very close 
where the royal family stops. They have their own terminal. It's kind of very uh, sci-fi-ish design. We were very close. I could for once have a look at it. Of course, I was not in that terminal, guys. I was just next door taking right. a bus back to there. But it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it is neat <laughs> to see up close. Yeah. And uh, back to that lounge A, I said this time, uh, remained in the business one. And very interestingly, every time... I board to Heathrow or Gatwick. Usually I come back to Heathrow. Let's say the flight is at 11 and they say boarding at, let's say, 10.30. Boarding never starts on time. It starts like super last minute, which is fine by me. The only problem is I can clearly see that it creates a lot of anxiety to other passengers. People are all flocking towards the gate. There's no staff because they're waiting until the last minute to open. You know how Emirates does. They, they board first economy and then they board the rest. So there's no one at the gate. The gate is direct access from the lounge. There's no one at the gate until they actually start boarding business and first, meaning that you have a lot of people being very anxious. You can feel people are like trying to find the staff and say, where are we boarding? I think Emirates should be very more upfront about the timing and not uh, because people are really, really antsy. Yeah. Uh, not for me. I don't care. I'm like, oh, whatever. Maybe I fly too much, but I could see that a lot of people were not really, really happy. The cool thing on that one, 380, of course, the captain. I'm from Chicago and welcome to the 380 Jumbo Service of London. The weatherman says it's a good day to fly. That's <laughs> nice. So American. I loved it. I want to give a shout out to Barbora and Mustafa, my two crew. They were excellent. So to change, you know, I just said it was Meh from Hanoi here. It was really good. They were attentive, fun. It really makes a difference. I might have said earlier that it's not as consistent as it used to be Emirates, but when their staff is good, they're really, really, really yeah. good. When, they, when they're at the top. I mean, it's the same with Cathay. Same with BA. Yeah. BA, yeah. But it wasn't as noticeable before because Emirates was very consistent of always having a great experience. And now it's slightly like there was this meh. But Qatar, for instance, which I, I said earlier this year that one of my flights was my favorite flight ever. There was another flight I've done. I don't remember which one, but the crew was also meh. So it happens, you know, it's yeah. sometimes, or maybe the person is having a bad day. Yeah. We're human and it's fine. The UK has banned the shower attendant from flying into the country. So if you're flying in first class on Emirates, you have the showers, of course, in the 380. And these showers have a dedicated person there. The thing is, that person doesn't have a full flight attendant license, and the UK just decided that they are not flight attendants. For some reason, they waited 10 years to decide that, but they said, nope, you cannot enter, so they are forbidden from entering the country. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, well, I, I can't think of a no. compelling reason, but, it, you know. Now... It's not on that flight. It's on one of my Emirates flights because I don't want to put anyone into a corner here by saying what I'm going to say. But somebody from Emirates, let's put it that way, told me that crews tend to want to avoid flying to London. That kind of correlates to my experience with sometimes Emirates to London is lesser than Emirates to Tokyo, Emirates to Singapore, Emirates... And is it because there's a bad rep about that route? I don't know. I would not have thought that that would be the... No, me neither. I would have thought that that would have been one of the easiest routes. Yeah, well, the one thing that is always cool, they have these internal kind of podcasts, you know, when uh, they talk I about that. stuff. I love that. It's what's playing as soon as you board, yeah. isn't it, on the IFT? Yes. And this time they had, probably because of the Dubai Air Show that just happened, they had Tim Clark. He talked about the 777X. 
He didn't say that in that interview, but I read somewhere else that he doesn't expect the 777X to arrive in 2020. So it's going to be not before 2021. We know that Boeing has delays, but he was still talking how much Emirates collaborated very closely with Boeing on the 777X. No surprise, because they're ordering a shit ton of them. And we know a little bit more about the inside. There's not going to be a bar. There's no going to be showers, obviously, but there's going to be a small comfort area in the middle of the business class. But it's not going to be a bar. I don't know what it's going to be, but they're still kind of trying to do something a bit different. I just mentioned the seat of the 777. The seat will be, he says, new, but actually it's the same as the 380. Okay. How do we feel about so, that? Ah, I kind of wish they had... Uh, let's, let's wait until they actually roll it out. I like the 380 seat, right? It's a really comfortable seat. I'm just saying... In that same line of having always the same thing, I, I hope that they kind of push the envelope a bit and do something a bit newer. Yeah. We'll see. But they know what works. They know how to maintain yeah. it. They know how to deploy it. Yeah. Um, I can see the appeal of that as well. And yeah. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. He also says that the premium Echo is going to be there. It's all spec'd out. The seat is spec'd out. The pricing, the revenue model, is said everything is spec'd out. So it's going to be introduced with a 777X. The interior work is all done. He says it will be spectacular. Of course, he would say that. <laughs> this is not said in that podcast, but I've learned separately that Emirates is a launch customer of uh, this premium economy seat. It's uh, by, I think... H-E-A-C-O. It's Heiko. So, it's Heiko who is ah, thank you. Hong Kong. And I think the seat is called Eclipse. It's a shell one, so no shame into reclining. And also, apparently, they will be a little staggered, which kind of hints at a better ale access for everyone. So not, not like fully business class, but still some one seat being slightly behind the other. So but that could actually be something that I would be drawn in to try to fly this premium economy seat. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good one. He also says that the server power of the IFE will be immense. I mean, they already have 4,000 I was going to say, they must what be else? already using some pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> you, know, you know, I went to the point, I was like, it's great to say you have 4,000 channels and kudos to them. Yeah. But how much crap is being produced every year to fill that? I was going into the new movie section. Is it direct to IFE? <laughs> direct to IFE. <laughs> That's a new category. <laughs> and he said, that was my favorite quote of his podcast. Yeah. He said, the 777X will fly at an altitude lower than the Dreamliner, so it will be more enjoyable. You will, and this is the quote, you will not be dragged in a washing machine backwards. I love it. I don't think I've ever felt dragged in a washing machine backwards. And he calls the folding wings genius. And what I didn't realize, Alex, I thought, I assumed that these folding wings, and maybe some of our listeners will say, Paul, you're stupid. Of course, that's how it works. I thought that this would uh, be directed by the crew, by the pilot. And yeah, the I assume they would be. No, it's automated. Uh, the ground at a certain speed, the folding wings go automatically up. I learned something today. I naturally assumed that it would be part of a checklist. Same. So probably there's manual override, mm -hmm. uh, I can assume. So probably at some point off the runway in a certain speed, we will see them go folded automatically. Wow. I mean, it makes sense. One yeah. less thing for the crew to have to think about at busy times yeah. of the flight. I wonder, says that, I wonder. sorry, yeah. I was just thinking those wingtips, like I know that they've done it where they've tried, what does the flight profile look like with one up, one down, like none up, none down, like what? how much it affects the performance of the airplane. I have no idea, man. It clearly was created for fuel efficiency and range, 
but unlike the 3T, they didn't want to have to build entire different gates at airports. It's something that would fit in the current profile of the 777, which is a very smart thing to be doing, but yeah. He said as well, of course, because I think he needs to reassure the public with that 737 Max story, which will come in the next episode. He is shocked and stunned at the level of scrutiny in his experience with the regulator. He says that really the regulators up the game, and especially with that folding thing, which is totally new, right? You don't want to have that when you're flying. Uh, no. Um, he says that Emirates has reached a plateau for networks for the moment being. They did a study late last year about how they want to be. They mapped out the entire route system and said, okay, what does Emirates want to be in 10 years, 15 years? Taking into account that the 380, and we'll talk about that in the next episode, because he had some interesting things to say. We don't have time this time. That was an interesting... Yeah, yeah. But basically, because they don't have the 380 anymore in 10 years, because as well, you said earlier, Dubai, well, the other airport is not being put into place as fast as they think. So they have currently 360 aircraft flying to 260 destinations. In 10 years, they want to have 500 aircraft to 450 destinations. That's the goal. And everything has been met. Yeah. They've ordered, he calls that the new twins, the 330neo and the 350. They've ordered both. And the Dreamliner and the 777X, which I just mentioned. So when they have all these new type of aircrafts, uh, expansion a lot in Africa, US, and LATAM. He mentions US, so you'll have more Emirates in the US. Only it were up to him. (laughs) By the way, when he says 500 aircraft, I think he includes Fly Dubai, which which I think they need to do something about because the reviews are really dire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I might be flying them at the end of the year. It's unsure yet. This is how I learned the the reviews were dire, is that the experience is completely different from Emirates, and Emirates is now sending you Fly Dubai when you try to book as part of their network because they're very heavily consolidated. That's something that a lot of people are not happy about. It's as if buying a flight on... uh, Actually, it's not as if you're buying a flight on British Airways and they make you fly willing. Mm. That's a bit the thing. Yeah. It doesn't work. No. No. Eh. So they've ordered actually the, you remember we said, will they order or not the Dreamliner? They have. They ordered 30 Dreamliners dash nines at the air show. It's actually a conversion of 777s, meaning that because the 777 is so late, they are buying Dreamliners. It's not a new order, it's a conversion. They remain the largest 777X orders. They will have 125, 26. They already have like 155 777s, so really a lot of 777s, man. It becomes more complicated for them. It was easier before because they only have like two players. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. He's clearly unhappy about Airbus, about the 380. Yeah. That way. Uh, He says that in general, the industry will have to make step changes, coming back to what we said at the very top of the show in terms of uh, pollution. He says hydrogen is probably something we're going to be looking at at some point. He doesn't believe in electrical planes because for large aircrafts, it's still way too early in the game to make that. But interestingly, he points out that other ways of reducing pollution, once being, he says that ATC, especially in Europe and the US, have to get their act together 
stop making planes wander around, making them go in a straight line. And uh, airports, please stop making us like going and holding patterns, make it smarter. We burn so much fuel at low altitudes waiting to be landing and or wandering around airspaces because there's restrictions left and right. Uh, he has a point. Very sensible, pragmatic, especially when we see the rate of growth in air travel across all of these continents. You'd think and hope that places like Europe and the US would be outliers. Leaders. And Leaders. Not outliers. <laughs> it's even okay that uh, all these environmental taxes and everything, he says, hopefully it won't degrade a product, but he'll be okay with it because the environment is key. Of course, maybe he says that just to say it and look good, but I think he actually believes it. He does believe it. He does believe it. I think he's got a very difficult job because he's he runs that airline. He runs that airline, but he also is answerable to some very powerful people who occasionally act on whims and maybe they're not as concerned about some of the things that he is. But he's been in that job for, what, 30 years? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Something, 30 more. Maybe not that long, but I don't know. He's clearly got a good relationship with his paymasters and with the chairman. No, he's chairman, isn't he? And he's, he's Now he's chairman, but it's still, he's still... Yeah, you know. he's got. it's an interesting environment in which to operate. So I, yeah, I like uh, him a lot. He says the right thing. And you can tell, that's what's nice about that podcast that they have in the interviews... The A380, you can feel his ire, but in the podcast they have on the plane, you can hear what he's genuinely passionate about. I think so, yeah. And that's I agree. important. I've a lot of respect for him, and yeah, uh, there's too. some big shoes to fill. I would say that if there was one guest, and we never have time for guests, the guests, because we already never have time for us to record just together, Alex and I. That's one guest that I would love to have one day, or maybe when he retires. We need to walk the talk. There's too much talking and not enough walking. That's what he says about the environment. I oh, think he's right. Uh, to finish, I said very early that the Expo 2020 was happening. It's October 2020 to April, which is the kind of winter, so the weather is very nice. And by the way, I was just in Dubai for two days. It's the best weather I ever had. It was perfect. But about the Expo, I wasn't really caring about it. Were you caring? Would you have gone to the Expo yourself, Alex? No. <laughs> They will have a pavilion, an Emirates pavilion, and they will show the future of the product, the future of aviation, what they think is the future of Emirates as well. Well, that could be something that I would stop by to see. I yeah, want to see that's, that, uh, that would yeah. be a draw for me too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Look, guys, a little bit more of Emirates and 318 News in the next episode because we will try to record at least two until the end of the year if we can. We should be able to. Uh, Alex is flying and I'm flying as well. Where... Where are you? Oh, no. I was about to fuck at the airport. <laughs> now by airport. So Hanoi Airport. And I'll do what you mean another time. So it's the largest airport in Vietnam in terms of capacity, but not the busiest, which is what you mean. X named Saigon. Interestingly, in the South, they still call it Saigon. Yes. Whole story here. So it's the second busiest airport, Hanoi, now by, now by airport. I don't know what it actually means. If somebody from Vietnam could tell me now by means anything, I have no idea. It's about 28, 30 million passengers a year. So it's a big airport. Terminal 1, as I said, serves domestic flights and the newly built... I think four or five years, Terminal 2 is the international, clearly the main hub for Vietnam Airlines, but also like stuff I've never seen elsewhere. Bamboo Airways, I saw in, on the tarmac, <laughs> Bamboo Airways. And Vietjet, Vietjet is famous in Vietnam. Vietnam is a pretty big country, you know, so there's a lot of people that will want and are already and need, uh, yeah. traveling. Yeah, and need to travel. Look, it's an easy airport to be using. You have Grab, which is the equivalent of Uber. You can also have taxis, obviously. I don't think there is a rail 
tail link. Maybe I'm wrong. I took a grab myself. The grab driver even asks you to take simply a picture of where you're standing so they can actually pick you up at the That's right point. That's a good idea. Yeah, like just, you know, it's very practical. I love Southeast Asia for that. People are like, yeah, you have a smartphone in your hand anyway. Just take a pic of where you are and I'll pick you up there. I'm like, yeah. The one thing that you need to be careful about, especially when you go back to the airport to take your flight, although there's not a lot of traffic in Hanoi, I mean, there is, but not dramatic. It's not Bangkok, it's mm. not Jakarta, etc., or Manila. They have very slow speed limits. At the beginning, I was like, is my driver driving really slowly? And then I realized everybody's driving slowly, and then maybe we have traffic in front of us. No, they simply have extremely low speed limits. So it takes a while. I mean, I'm not criticizing the fact that they have, because they have a very low rate of accidents on the road. It was really meant for safety, but it's striking. You'll see, Alex, when you go, you're like, we're on the highway. Yeah. Why are you not going faster? It's, it's really simply because that's the law. So just bear that in mind. The airport is not too far from the city. It's pretty easy to get. As I said, the domestic terminal age, but it's okay. It's a bit weird. It has like lobbies. Lobby what? I mean, it's not very, but it's fine. A few lounges, which I didn't, exp yeah, I went to one. I don't remember the name of it. It was, it was okay. The international one, the Vietnam Airlines ones, well, apparently they're very nice. It's a large, easy airport, easy terminal to navigate into. And they have plans. By 2050, they want to reach 80 million. And by 2030, so in 10 years, they want to reach 50 million. So they're going to That's build. aggressive. Yeah. Build, 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 build. So they're really going to build a lot of stuff. So yeah, I can only recommend it. it. It was actually easy. The one thing I will warn you in case, guys, in case you need to land in Hanoi or Chi Minh and then take a domestic flight, you have to take into account the time it takes you to process the visa thing. Mm -hmm. Don't do it like me. Most countries can do an online e-visa thing. And I didn't. So I got a letter of invite from the client. I had to go to a counter. It took me an hour and 20 minutes at Ho Chi Minh to do that. If I had to have a, a domestic flight, I would have been so stressed out. So just even if you have an e-visa, it's not that long. Immigration was pretty good, but just bear in mind if you to switch. And if you want to travel in Hanoi between the two terminals, there is a bus, but you can also hire an electrical car, so a cart. It's nice. You want. <laughs> and be like the superstar on your little cart, you can do that. So is it good for a layover? Yes, because you have to talk to Captain Bruce and Captain Bruce will take you in his Cessna and fly you to Halong Bay. There you go. That's, uh, that's nice. uh, the now by airport. So uh, what are your next flights? Because I think you are doing something unusual. Yeah, well, relatively unusual for me anyway. We're flying to San Jose, California for a night, and then the next morning we fly to Maui in oh Hawaii, the whole family. So I'm looking, looking forward to that. I've never been. Staying in the region? Are you going to no, trek just, around? No, just on or? Maui. We're staying. I don't really know it at all, so I don't know. Some resort. I'll have to tell you when I get back. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I can't I'm remember. So and then you're staying in California for... Uh, for the Christmas. Yeah, we get back for in time for you're Christmas. You're so, so lucky. Because as for me, I'm going to Tokyo and Dubai again with Emirates. So there'll be more Emirates. Sorry, guys, because I've been doing that all this episode. And probably to a 
Astana called Nur Sultan now just before Christmas, which means it's going to be minus 40 degrees Celsius, uh, which I don't know how I feel about. So Alex is going to be like with a lot of sun in Maui, and I'm going to be freezing to death in hypothermia in Kazakhstan. It will be very, very cold. So uh, if I'm dead before the next episode, no, let's hope we're going to record another one. And I'm sorry, because in this one I talked a lot. I promise you in the next one is going to be less about me, more about Alex. <laughs> All good. And everyone, happy flying. Safe travels, guys.